Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Good to be with you today. Another opportunity to do a little life and have a little conversation and talk today about a very important topic. As always, my name is Jeff Pinkleton. Blessed to serve with the Gathering of the Miami Valley, which our tagline is connecting men to men and men to God. And I think this is very appropriate for what we're talking about today. We're talking about a very difficult topic. There's a significant part of this conversation of suicide. I think we all would know with COVID over the last couple of years, there's obviously a lot going on and people have been hit and hit hard. So I'm really excited to have Matthew Sleeth here with us. I, if I started giving an introduction and talking resume, we would be here a mighty long time but when I have a close friend who reaches out and says, hey, you need to check out this. In this case, it was a sermon at Southeast Christian Church. And you need to hear what this guy has to say, because I think you're going to want to have some conversation with him about speaking at a breakfast or a lunch series or your podcast. And uh, I am praising God today for my friend Landon Wade for making that suggestion. So Matthew Sleeth is tied to Blessed Earth. And you can share a little bit more about that in a minute. You've written several books. And after reading Hope Always, which is hitting suicide head on, you did mention a little bit about your love for trees and how the Bible speaks to trees. you got a couple books that, that reference that one square on, but you're, you have a medical doctor background. You've done a lot of things. But let's jump in first, Matthew. Thanks again for being with us. And I want to talk about you coming to Christ, kind of your story, your background. I know you had three pretty significant moments that led to you coming to Christ. And if I remember correctly, you said you came to Christ at 47 years old, which my 20 plus years of doing youth ministry says 80% of people come to Christ before they're 18. So you clearly bucked that, but, and you had a, we're well on your way to much, much success and already experienced it. And yet at 47, things had changed. So give a little background story, whatnot. I mean, certainly about this, you had three pretty significant moments that happened that kind of got you where you are today. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a real rural area. It was a dairy farming area. Went to church as a little kid. And I'm very, very thankful for that, uh, even though it didn't last all that long. And uh, then um, stopped going when I was uh, getting into the tween years or whatever. And um, by the time I was 16, I had flunked out of high school. I had a very wonderful thing happened in, in that somebody I was working for said they would give me a vehicle and put gasoline in it if I would get back into school and get some kind of diploma. <laughs> so I managed to graduate third from the bottom of my industrial group <laughs> in, in a VOTAC program. <laughs> and uh, it became a carpenter. And everything kind of changed when I went to see about a job one day. It was my, my favorite kind of uh, customers. They had money. <laughs> the guy was a periodontal surgeon, and uh, they were Jewish. And when their 18-year-old daughter walked into the room, their worst nightmare began to unfold, because that's my wife, uh, Nancy. We've been married uh, 40 years, almost 41. 
so if you're ever marrying into a Jewish family and you can't be, um, you're not born Jewish, my advice to get on the good side of your in-laws is either go to law school or medical school. And I couldn't spell it all. So I went to medical school. <laughs> well, I had to go to undergraduate school first and, and uh, had some help getting in and got into multiple med schools early than without an undergraduate degree. So I never got an undergraduate degree. But uh, my wife and I, as far as faith goes, we're just living the American dream. That was our religion. And the American dream consists of you live in the best house that you can in the best neighborhood that you can. You send your kids to the best schools that you can. And you kind of live life with the end point being that you're going to get out of this life alive. You just don't think about any other possibilities. Then we had some bad things happen. And that might be the three things you're referring to. Uh, the first is that my wife's brother drowned in front of my children and her. And that just had a kind of profound impact on the family. And my, my wife uh, really got depressed after that and didn't get treated. And uh, just one after another kind of bad things were happening. And I had a patient that stalked me. Um, pretty scary uh, character or ended up being pretty scary character. And when the police went to check on him, found his uh, mother in the closet where he had beaten her to death and taped her up and about a week before and been spraying carpet freshener on her. Uh, in the meantime. And the third uh, thing that, that happened that uh, kind of the culmination of bad things was uh, September 11th. And I had worked the night before, and it was a perfect Tuesday in Maine, which is where we were living. And my wife came and said, you know, this is happening in Manhattan. And we watched. And my next door neighbor called me and said, I, I need help. Uh, Jamie, her son uh, was my son's age. She said, I got to get him from school because his dad was in the first plane. And with all those things and the trouble we were having at home and in our marriage and everything, I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. And that didn't fit my paradigm of the world at all, because I only believed in things that you could measure, reproduce, etc. And evil, just like love or hope, are, are concepts that are beyond scientific or reproducible per se. And so I went, I went looking for answers in places I'd never looked before. I read the Ramayana, I read the Bhagavad Gita, I read the Quran, Book of Mormon, all, all of these just looking for answers of where does the good come from on the planet and how does it defeat evil? And the last book I read in that vein was a Bible that I picked up in the hospital. It was on a waiting room table. And I thought, you know, I, I don't have one of these at home and I've never read it. So I stole it and uh, started reading in the book of Matthew, which is, again, a very fortunate thing. My parents named me Matthew and not numbers. For Leviticus, Levi, I think I would have been not, not here. But in reading that, Matthew, uh, Christ just leaped off the pages of scripture and was real to me. And that changes everything in life. Christ is who he says he is. You got some things you got to do. <laughs> and uh, so one after another, everyone in my family had that same belief. And we're all in uh, full-time ministry now. 
Well, and I think what's interesting about that, when you shared that, which, by the way, I remember hearing you would, when you preached at Southeast, use the uh, numbers line, which is a great one. Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't know what to do since my name's Jeff. Where, where do I go based on that? But when you're Matthew, that makes it pretty easy. But, you know, I, I think it, it's just so impressive to me that you – I made the comment earlier about you coming to the Lord later, and I think sometimes we look at that and we're so kind of overwhelmed that – what took so long or why didn't I come to Christ sooner? Blah, 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 blah. And I think there's some real depth to you that just seems like, I mean, you've, you've only been walking with the Lord for, you know, the minority of your life. And yet there's some real depth and just diving in. It seems like not only did Jesus become savior to you in that moment, but definitely became Lord. And for most people, there's a savior moment. It seems like, and then down the road somewhere, there's a Lord moment and your maturity and yet your humility that goes with that, you come across like someone who's walked with the Lord for a long time, and yet there's probably still that freshness where you can relate to a lot of people. And I want, I want to hit that, jumping into the book for a moment, and we'll kind of bounce around a little bit. But here are the two things that really struck a chord with me about your book. One was what you talk a lot, and I think you referenced it in your Southeast sermon as well, that we're, we're just normalizing this topic of suicide. And you, you talk about a number of ways you relate it to divorce, you know, 30, 40 years ago, especially where, and that's only growing more and more today about where divorce is just, hey, it's just an option. It's it's no big deal. Like you, you just do it and people get divorced and it's easy to kind of walk away. And, you know, you, you reference like Hallmark cards or something where almost we're like, we're going to applaud people having the freedom to choose what to do with their life as if, you know, it's a career thing or it's picking a mate or whatever. The other thing is I felt like you really addressed the, the topic of suicide well in that, you really hit the difficulties and challenges that come from it as far as who's left behind, the pain, how much God prizes and values life so supremely, and yet you don't beat people up in a sense like this is not the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And that tension that you brought to the book really throughout, I thought was very powerful because it's going to be hard. It's kind of like grace and truth. you got to bring both to the table. Jesus was 100% truth. And he's 100% grace. And I think that tension really speaks to people. So maybe elaborate more on those two things that stood out to me about your book. Yeah, the the first is about the normalization of of suicide. You know, it's interesting, right? In front of me, I have an article that was just mailed to me. It's uh, Wednesday, November 17th from the Washington Post. Articles by Charles Lane. It says, do we still stand for suicide prevention? Other people are noticing that suicide is becoming normalized, and that's what he, he talks about as well. By that, I mean that the, the sanctity of life is not there by society anymore or that surrounds suicide, even though I don't believe that suicide is the, an unpardonable sin. I think Christ's work on the cross can cover us for whatever we can imagine, essentially, but that doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that we as a church and as friends of people who might be contemplating this shouldn't say, stay with us. We need you here. And I believe that the way this is going, and this article, as well as in um, the sermon that you heard, I referenced the Canadian law. It's called the Medical Assistance in Dying Act. And that law has just been amended so that one no longer need to have death as an imminent thing in order to demand to be put to sleep, (laughs) to be uh, uh, put down, like you would put down a dog or a cat or something. And you no longer have to have a diagnosis other than mental illness. 
And I think that really sends a message to people who struggle with mental illness that you're somehow less than somebody struggling with cancer or something. And of course, that's not biblical at all. Jesus came to set things right everywhere, <laughs> whether it's mental illness, physical illness, societal illness. But I think that if you follow the pattern of things like divorce, that what you'll see is suicide normalized. And the horrible place that I know that this is going in a very short time is that a 12-year-old will be able to walk into a pediatrician and demand that they be put to sleep without their parents being consulted. And if people think this is crazy, I give them a real example from my senior year as uh, in residency of sitting one morning with an 11-year-old girl pleading with her to let me call her mother. I um, was not allowed to by law because she had just delivered a full-term baby and therefore she's an emancipated minor. And she did allow me to call her mother, but I can't fathom in that room with a 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid who says, I, I, I don't want to live anymore. You must put me to sleep. And, and I think that's where we're going. Well, and along those lines, you reference Adam and Eve, and you talk about all the variety of places scripture does deal with suicide and how much people wrestled with it. And you reference in the book as well, Spurgeon, Mother Teresa, I mean, Lincoln. I mean, we know some significant, significant people in the history of our country, in the history of the world, in the history of Christendom who have really struggled with this. And you really talk about Adam and Eve and how ultimately, if you want to look at it, and I've never heard anybody make this case that you did, but they ultimately committed suicide. They were told, do this and you will die. And they did it. And they weren't alone. There was somebody there, Satan, uh, who was urging them on. And, and Jesus, you know, kind of encapsulates this whole battle that's going on in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to rob and kill and destroy and that he's come so that we'd have life and have more life, have it abundantly. And that's a battle that we see that humans fight that no other animal does. There's no animal model for suicide. There's every body, whether it's my body or a zebra's body, has all these built-in reflexes to save us, to make us flee from danger when that's appropriate, or fight if that's what it takes to defend ourselves. If you just uh, throw a Nerf ball right at somebody's face, you know, they're going to dodge or get a hand up or whatever. They're not going to even think about it. And so we have to go against all those built-in mechanisms that God gave us in order to say, no, this is not worth living. I want to take my life. There is no zebra that ever woke up one morning and said, I'm not going to run from the lion today. It just, suicide is a human thing. And we are mind, body, and soul. And secular society wants to subtract the soul from that. Well, and that's, I'll tell you what, soul care I've been asking people a lot lately, how are you resting? I see the correlation in so many things between rest and how we're doing and not just sleep. But, you know, my wife just started uh, recently doing Sabbath. I, I had a sabbatical this summer. We're kind of two ships passing the night where my sabbatical is over, but she's picked up on Sabbath and I'm trying to get there. It's a little hard with four kids and ministry schedule and her homeschool schedule to figure that out, landing on just the right spot. But you've talked multiple times, book, sermon, elsewhere about sermons not being preached asking people does your church 
asking pastors if they've spoken on this topic, inevitably the answer is always no. I sent a note to about 12 of our leaders. We have 23, 24 small groups that meet on a regular basis of men. And I said, here's a book I think we really need to be considering because this is a topic we can't avoid. COVID, health, economy, politics, division. It's so crucial. And one of the things I'm a big believer of, and it really, I know rubs some of my guys probably the wrong way, that when someone quits coming around, let's say in a small group, most of our groups meet every two weeks. If someone misses a week, and then a little while later, they miss again. They, the guy used to respond to a text or a phone call or an email, and they don't. Sometimes people, I think, believe I'd step in too quick or reach out or, hey, how are you doing? Let's get together. Like, we got to let people have their space. And I'm thinking letting people have their space is going to lead to something tragic. You know, we don't want to hit people upside the head or whatever, but we've got to chase. Jesus left the 99 for the one, and that's the, his heart. That's the desire that's a good shepherd. And I think two things you do really well in this book, you taught, you give this list of questions and really equip people. So people need to get this book, Amazon, hope always, because there's great questions in there that you can be checking up with people on. And you also do a great job of defining terms and clarifying. I love your stuff on narcissism and even some terms I wouldn't even familiar with, but that being said, why is this book so important? And I believe Matthew, why is your voice and your perspective so needed right now? Well, I'm going to deflect that a little bit because I believe what I've done in the book is gives God's argument <laughs> to about this and, and that God gave his only son to come and take on sin so that we'd live. This is a battle that's been going on since, you know, the Garden of Eden, and the church is silent, silent, silent on it. And when you're silent gives assent, as it says in the law. <laughs> When you're silent, you're assenting to whatever it is you're saying quiet about. And the church cannot give its assent to 10 and 12-year-old kids killing themselves. It just can't do it. Whether it's uncomfortable for people or not, we got to wade into this. And I've, I just found out a few weeks ago, I took a group of 42 guys on retreat for just a day, a Saturday, all day long. And instead of talking about suicide, what I talked about were ways to stay mentally and spiritually healthy, because I think that's where this conversation leads, is how do we stay healthy in a world that's ill? Mm. And guess what? It's only going to get worse. It's, it's not going to get better. You can't vote to fix this. You can't, no you can't engineer to fix this. We've got a spiritual illness. And we've got to arm ourselves and we've got to get to our kids early. I was preaching about Hope Always at a church a little while ago. It wasn't Southeast. And I was asked like the night before, should we send all the children out? And I said, no, in, mm. in our, our city, and this, I was preaching in Lexington, we've had a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kill themselves in a three month period. That's the group we got to get in. And so we've got to we got to start grabbing our kids and saying, we love you. And are you thinking about this? And if they are thinking about it, we got to go into that, not run away from it as the adults. Well, and it's so humbling to me when you say all this, because I have a 18, 16, 14 year old boys and a 12 year old daughter. I did not have a friend commit suicide when I was in high school, but I had a classmate and we actually didn't really care much for each other. 
but it, it messed me up. He sat next to me in a foreign language class and we talked a little bit of trash, but didn't have a really any kind of relationship. But when I read the paper, I think it was that Sunday morning or it was a holiday weekend maybe. And it was Monday. And I was thinking, wow. I mean, just the reality of this kid not sitting next to me in class anymore, just it didn't click. And then when I went back to school the next day, he wasn't there. And it rocked my world. And regardless of what I thought of him up that point, which wasn't real good, quickly changed. And it just, I was stunned. I was, compassion fell on me. And I had no clue what was going on because we didn't associate outside of that class. And I just think about my kids and I'm like, you know, one, if not every one of those kids of mine will experience this with somebody in their life. It, it, it just will happen. And gosh, what do, what do you do? I mean, it's so... And I think the topics, you know, I think about, you know, I've been, I've spent 14 years pouring into men, this kind of topic, sex. I mean, some of the most important things in life we don't talk about, and we think we're just going to figure it out on our own or know what to do when something happens and being reactive to this topic versus being proactive. I just don't see any way where that's going to work. You know, if someone hears this and they get just overwhelmed, Matthew, by how the enormity of this and knowing it's reality, their eyes get opened. I don't even begin to know where to start. Outside of this book, you said earlier on, when people come out and acknowledge they have thoughts or they have you know, struggles or depression or whatever, how many people aren't talking about this? I mean, the people who talk about it are clearly going to be in a minority. So we got people all around us who have dealt with it. One of my leaders uh, in a group recently asked the guys, he said, let's spend one session just talking about mental health. And I love Kurt Thompson. I'm sure you're familiar with Kurt Thompson. He said mental health is accurately trying to see the picture of kind of who we are. And I really like that definition. But what do people do? So I definitely want to encourage people to read this book. But beyond that, how do we become engaged in something that's so critical? Like what would you hope people take from this book and move forward with actively in their life besides the question list, which is great, and so on and so forth? I think the first thing is that I want to leave people with the optimism and the hope that they can actually impact others. 99.99% of Christian books are about you, the reader. How do you have your best life? How do you get as rich as you can? How do, how do you get into, you know, the seven steps to get into heaven in three easy lessons, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of poking fun at that or whatever, but a lot of mental health and a lot of spiritual health comes when we get the focus off of ourselves and onto others. And, and you can actually save somebody's life. And I'm already getting the letters from people of this works, you know, and there's no magic to it. Just if you've got a friend or something or um, that, that you think is down and might be considering this, you got to go into that pain, as it were, you got to ask, 100%. and then you got to say, I'm there for you. And, and you'd be amazed just what that does. Because, because so many people, especially with COVID, and especially young people who are not able to go to school as they were and everything, just feel really isolated, they feel like they're alone, and that nobody cares and that nothing matters. And, you know, one trip to a burger place is all it takes to dispel that for some people that you're not alone, that, you know, you do matter. And so that's the first thing I would want people to walk away from is, is to understand there, there's steps that they can do to save other people's lives. And there's things that they can do to make their own lives better. And if you find that you are like depressed and everything, yes, go see a therapist, go see your doctor, et cetera. 
but maybe there's a reason you're depressed that you're putting garbage into your mind or that you're not obeying the Lord when, when the Lord has called you to do something. In other words, don't just cover up depression. Sometimes look for the, the reason that you might be experiencing it. You know, it's interesting. My ministry, one of the things I encourage people to do quite a bit, regardless of what situation they're going through or whatever, is often it takes something as simple as once a week having lunch or breakfast with a friend where there's no agenda. Like, you know, they love you. You know, you love them. Meeting that person with no agenda just to say, hey, how are you doing? And really catching up. And, and I think things like that go such a long way. I mean, we, we know that we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to know that we're loved. And you do a great job in the book, too, I think, about really bringing the gospel to light. And even people, it sounds like from your experience, probably particularly before you knew the Lord, realize the importance of the gospel, whether they're calling it that or not, and that they're a known, impactful pursuit or love of God really changes this whole equation. You, you have some stats in there. I forgot what it was, like six times is likely in one, one area, I think you said, to not follow through with thoughts. How that stack together or something like that? Yeah, it's a committed Christian is six times less likely to kill themselves than an atheist. They think about it at the same rate, but they act on that far less. And so your faith really does give you life, not just the afterlife, but now. See, and that's that's worth people hearing on the, the going side of sharing the gospel, but also on the receive. I mean, that alone, I would think, can impact some people. We had, at our church, we do uh, what's called God stories. They're about three or four-minute videos each Sunday, online and in person, where someone tells a God story. And uh, there's two ways you can close it out. You either say, this is my God story, after saying your name, or you could say, this is one of many of my God stories. And yesterday's, they actually had a cop in the city of Columbus close to us who him and his partner found out one day, or him and this guy were, I don't know if they were on duty or off duty, but they come to find out they both know the Lord and they're talking about their faith and talking about kind of how they interact and engage Holy Spirit. And they're outside somewhere and they see this woman who clearly was drugged up and down and out. She was a prostitute and they just kind of started talking to her and kind of about her need and what's her life like and help. And they ended up leading her to Christ in that moment. And I would love to see when that story took place and where this woman is now, and I'm sure there's a lot of breakthrough or whatever, but we have in Jesus and in the gospel what gives hope always and what can change anything. And uh, when you, okay, so you're, you're hearing from people, and I can appreciate that, and that's great that you're hearing from people. But like when a songwriter writes a great song, I always wondered, like, do they know in that moment they're done, the song's complete before it ever releases to radio? Do they know that's a hit? Did you know when you're finished writing this and you turn it in and it's, it's, it's clean with your editor. Like this, this is going to do something. I mean, what stood out to you to just say that yeah, this is going to have an impact? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I was in the process of writing this, uh, we, we have Friday night dinners at our house and anywhere from eight to 12 people normally. And it's just a routine of life for us. And a very famous author was there much, much more well-known than I am. And uh, she said, who's your audience? Who do you write for? And I said, and it I kind of like stunned me for a moment. And I said, a God, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think a lot of people try to understand people. I've spent my Christian life trying to understand God. And I think if you do, if you seek ye first, the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, all the other stuff falls in, into place. And so I can't say that I know, but I, 
that that it would impact people as it has, but I did know that I did what God asked me to do. And in that, you sense God's smile on you, I would assume. Is that fair to say? I think so. I'm still, my heart is very heavy though, because I do not believe that the church is taking this seriously enough and that, that we're going to be able to turn the ship around in time. And, and I think that it'll take God, <laughs> it'll take God's arm to do that. But it just, you know, I walked into church yesterday. I'm not preaching. <laughs> I'm just, just there at church. And uh, the senior pastor's wife walked over to me and she said, uh, Matthew, a friend of mine at our last church that we were on, just, uh, uh, just contacted me. Her 10-year-old hung himself. And, um, you know, to, to have that kind of thing going on every day, and yet to have churches and Christians quiet about this, that's my big prayer, is that we wake up and we say, you know, we are for life. <laughs> And we're, we're for life from one end to the other. And we really need to get enthusiastic about this and to understand that it's a joyful message that we have. We're going to pause for a minute and come back to this. But I, I do have these five kind of fun, silly questions I like to ask. I call them the rapid five. Probably need to lighten it a little bit when you have a topic like this uh, in a conversation. Absolutely. It's yeah. it's pretty heavy, and I feel it, and I, I want to pick back up in a second. So these five questions I ask, I hope you had a chance to look at them, are kind of simple, silly, first thing that jumps out to you. So what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal, Matthew? Okay, I grew up in very, very, very modest circumstances, as in too many people living in a house with not enough food. And my favorite thing was to go and steal brown sugar out of the baking supplies wow. and take, take a teaspoon. That was kind of the snack that I could get. It wasn't legal, but, you know, I've been forgiven. <laughs> so, so we've heard you've stolen brown sugar. You've stolen Bibles. Um, is oh, there, my goodness. This yeah. is a confessional. We, we want to have confessional communities and righteous communities where people really talk and share life. Matthew, is there anything else we need to come clean on today while we're on here? Oh, I think I've, uh, in one way or another, broken all the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's no doubt about I'm, that. So. I am bilingual. And, in, in, uh, you know, I speak uh, pagan and, and, <laughs> and I speak Biblish or whatever. Yeah, I but, hear you. Uh, Amen. I'm, I'm with you. I want to ask you what's your favorite book. I always think it's good to ask what's the favorite book you like to gift because that's a bigger deal statement. And, again, people can go to Matthew Sleeth on Amazon and find all his favorite books that he's written. But what's your favorite book you love to pass on to other people? You know, that's interesting because we have a bookcase in our house that's just filled with books that we give away. And we order, you know, like 10, 12 copies at a time of each of these, you know, mere Christianity to the Jesus Storybook Bible. But I think one of my favorite books to give away is The Mystery of Marriage by Mason. And it is inspired. It's not in all like any marriage book that anybody's probably read. It's just gorgeous. The Mystery of Marriage by Mason. I have not heard of that one. That's one I'm putting down. I'll look that up later. Make sure it's not going to make me look too bad for my wife before I decide to get it. Then we might have to hit pause on that. But You know, it's not like that. He says, she says at all. It's about what did God intend for this? Mm. And and I would just tell people that if they can experience, and I've experienced marriage where uh, all I wanted was out, mm. uh, you know, kind of pre-Christ. And now I'm like, this is the most joyful thing you can do on this planet is to be in, in a good marriage. Wow. Um, 
is just lovely. And I think it's more about how do you get to that beautiful place sure. than bogging down in the he said, she said. That's great. That's great. I'm... Anyway, so here's a very important question. So your family's vacation. I told you I got a 12, 14, 16, 18-year-old uh, kids, and we can you know try to pick the right uh, bathroom breaks. And we tend to go on vacation to like Delaware or wherever in, in uh, New Jersey and the Carolinas and it never times out right. It never times out right. Somebody's got to go to the bathroom <laughs> or we're at a place where there's nowhere perfect to stop. And then all of a sudden we see the exit sign with the places to stop. And let's say we were in a location where all three of these places popped up. And I know you tra you've traveled obviously. So you get to choose with your family. Let's say you got a family of four like I do. And you've got your choices between McDonald's, In-N-Out Burger. You mentioned burgers earlier. Chick-fil-A. Where would the sleets be going? Where's Nancy telling you you got to go? He's going to tell me to go to Wendy's because it's the cheapest. <laughs> hey, if you're using that app, I'm with you. You know what I had this morning? I had my dollar bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit and my senior coffee for free. They count me as a senior. Praise God for the Wendy's app. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But beyond Wendy's, if it's those three, where are you going? McDonald's, In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A. Uh, probably Chick-fil-A. You know what's funny? I always feel like when I ask this question, people either feel like, well, this is a Christian thing. We got to answer Chick-fil-A. Or they'll be tried and true to In-N-Out Burger like I am. Because I know In-N-Out Burger people think either greatest thing ever or a little overrated. But Yeah, we, we don't have any In-N-Out Burgers uh, right around here. And I've traveled a lot around the country. Chick-fil-A, I'm going to pick them for a couple reasons. One is I just love that mustard sauce that you dipped in. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> dip the chicken you know in um but but about sabbath it's just you mentioned it earlier i think that my book 24 6 has been the best-selling book on sabbath for about the last decade in this country and it's just something i absolutely believe in and they've invited me and i've gone to their headquarters in atlanta and talked really cool. about sabbath and everything so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stay with the home team there chick-fil-a hey you're killing me now i gotta read because i'm a big rust guy I love reading about it. So now I got to go to that instead of your tree book. I want what's the name of the tree book again? It's Reforesting Faith. See, I'm now now you're making it tough for me. Do I go there or do I go to 24 6 uh, is the Sabbath book. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess you're just you're encouraging me to read both of them ultimately. So what is the movie that gets you and pulls you in every time? The movie the pops King's speech. Oh, you know, I have not seen that. I absolutely love it. It's it's true, and it's it's the King of England struggling with a speech impediment, which is uh, stuttering, and because he has to give a message to people, and it gets me because the last thing in the world I would have ever chosen to do is get up in front of people and speak. When I first started doing it, I broke out in hives, and I remember um, about six months or so after I'd been speaking in churches and I'm just in this little Presbyterian church in Vermont and this woman comes and she's shaking my hand at the door and she's got a tremor and everything and she's probably in her 80s and she said I heard you talk a few months ago my are you improving <laughs> so, so uh, speaking in front of people, it, sure. it, it's, it's a personal thing too, that I've had to do that, whether I like it or not. I love it. I mean, I think you do a nice job. I like that. You're really leaning in between there and comedy. It sounds like you're really leaning in how to get better. And that just, that's such an encouragement to me that you're that teachable and want to learn and get better. So the last one, and, and like I said, the, the restaurant question is important. This may be the most important. Who was your first celebrity crush? 
I don't think you're going to an actress by the name of Rachel Ward. Uh, uh, I think I do. What was she in? Uh, she was in the Thornburgs. Oh, she was yeah. in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and, and some others, but she probably looks the most like my wife of, of any of them. Oh, the, no, that's a, that's a great answer right there. Okay. There, okay. I'm trying to remember. Okay. There's a picture of her younger. Oh, see that feathered hair. She looks a little bit like Jacqueline Smith or, uh, well, you know, I Charlie's met my Angels wife and she had big hair. There, well, <laughs> I'm 52. So, uh, about everybody I knew back in the day had the big hair. So, well, let's get back into what we were talking about. Appreciate those answers. I love the rapid five, but, um, so if, if someone hears this and they're plugged into their local church and this is something we need to act on. And you talked about the timing of this with suicide because things are going to happen and everly we're going to know people who die and we'll regret or feel like we're too late coming to the table here. What would you encourage people to do listening to this outside of getting maybe this book for their pastor? You know, it's not like people can just go in and say, Hey, pastor, uh, do a sermon series on this. What would you encourage people to do to engage their church as a layperson? Well, I, you can give the book to your pastor, but I think another tool that's kind of coming online is that right now media paid for me to make a set of films to go with this. And that's coming up on their platform. Uh, and so hope always the visual, the, the films will be up on right now media. And that, that would be another way of going at this because we find it often a little easier just to watch something rather than, than read to begin with. I will be jumping all over that with a gathering hat on. I lead a small group of three couples. I we use right now media quite a bit. And uh, I know in these parts, schools, churches, parachurch ministries, Church, Christian schools, I know a number of people who allow their people on a broad scale who are connected to them through membership, through education, through whatever it is, having free access to that. So that's, that is a great tool for people to know right now, media, if you don't have it, you can get monthly subscriptions. I'm sure many people that would listen to this are connected in some way, shape or form to an organization, ministry, church, school that has that access for free. And we, we do that right here. Um, let me, let me ask you that we're going to close here. Let me ask you this question. I'm a big believer in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example is I follow the example of Christ. Matthew, how would you encourage people to follow you right now as you follow Christ? Why should they follow your example in this season? Thinking last couple of years, you've got this book out about suicide. You've seen all kinds of things in hospitals and in medical facilities. Marriage-wise, you, you've lived through some difficult, I mean, seeing you know an uncle to your kid's drowned when you when you share that i can't even imagine the list goes on and on how would you encourage people to follow your example as you follow jesus i would say that from my experience getting to know christ is a process it doesn't happen all at once there's things that you're going to want to have changed about yourself that are going to take a while and and there's there's areas that god wants to grow you in that you don't even know uh, but I would just say being open to Christ changing you, that the person that I am now bears sometimes very little resemblance to who I was 10 years ago, but I'm just as excited about where is God's going to take me in the next 10 years. So that getting behind Christ and staying there and having the faith that he is doing what is best for you. So to piggyback that, I'm going to add another ending question. So we've all been given an assignment by God. If we know Jesus, we love Jesus, we want to make him known. We've all been given an assignment. 
That doesn't mean we know what it all is. I mean, I'm 52. I've still got a while to live. But what, what do you think is left on your assignment beyond this that you're wanting to sink your teeth into and say, okay, if I'm going to hear well done, good and faithful servant, this is still on the, the list. That's a lovely question because that really gets at that, you know, kind of something very deep. I think that God wants me to write in a different genre completely. That is in fiction mm-hmm. to try to draw more people in and to explore, you know, kind of areas that I can't in just a quote Christian book. Wow. Well, that, that'll be interesting. You know, I've, when I was on sabbatical, I read 22 books and I think I finally did read Pilgrim's Progress. But reading fiction to me is extremely difficult. My wife, she was giving me grief yesterday reading a book, and she said, are you still on that same page? I said, thanks. I, I need to feel worse about being a slow reader. Way to, but she kills fiction books. So that will be great. Well, if you made it through Pilgrim's Progress, you've done better than me. I've tried it three times, and I've never made it through that. So. I did the updated version. It was not the true to its original form. It was a little updated and a little bit more modern. But uh, okay. anyway, that'll be fun to get her checking out some of your books that way, because it's probably me telling her to go read a book about suicide <laughs> or reading a fiction book. I think I know which one wins in that equation. So, Matthew, you've been a huge blessing. I really appreciate your investment to, to me, to folks that are going to listen to this. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, more offline conversation and, and uh, much, much fruit, and many blessings in you and Nancy and your family's life and all that God has before you. Thank you so much. Pleasure being with uh, you and the guys listening. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.